Climate crisis racist where Africa is concerned. Michael, this was a hoot of an interview. I got to interview Cyrus Brooks, who's a humanitarian over there at uh, RBAC, and I thoroughly enjoyed visiting with him. I was live at the Permian. I had all these people in uh, 30 people in this booth at the air compressor solutions. And we were just loving it. And I'm talking to him. He's live in Africa at the show. And Alex Epstein was there and brought up some great points. The next day, Michael, I got to interview the secretary general of the African OPEC that's in charge of 18 oil producing countries that carries some heavyweight. He's a heavyweight Mm -hmm. down there. Now let's go over this article. And um, the the Energy Monetary Fund, uh, the World uh, Monetary Fund, is always tying their money to renewables. And the common theme of the Africa Energy uh, Conference was Africa first. Why are we forced to cover what the the West is forcing on us when you all pollute? We don't pollute. We're trying to survive, and one out of two people in Africa are in energy poverty. This is despicable. (laughs) So they're trying to bring, why don't we go ahead and work with them and try to get them elevated out of energy? Think about the markets. And let me tell you what it was uh, in this uh, interview. Here's the key thing. The West should do this from a business sales perspective, Michael. They're buying cheap phones now, but think about the iPhone market or the Tesla phone market. If we could get them electricity, they would be hungry for material built out of the West. This is selfish on business thinking. They would A, love getting elevated out for health reasons. A million people die from smoke inhalation from cooking. This is bull hockey, man. <laughs> this is something that, that that you specifically have been on for a while. And I think it's really great that you had an opportunity to interview these absolute heavy hitters. I mean, you know, yes. Dr. Farouk Ibrahim, he's the secretary general of the Africa OPEC. I mean, that's I mean, next up is who, who's ever running the real OPEC. So, I mean, to think about it, big heavy hitter. These are two awesome interviews. I think you've done a great job of kind of overviewing you know, what they're going to be. I'm really excited to listen. I've had an opportunity to listen to the the Dr. Ibrahim one. I have listened to Cyrus Brooks. Great episode. Um, and I think he brings up, yep. and again, he hits, it's all the hot points that me and you have been on. It's, it really comes down to what's good, you know, allowing me to do something without you doing it. We were allowed in the United States and in the West to yep. exploit quote unquote, the fossil fuel, natural resources. But now we're saying to another part of the world that wants to take that same step and move up from and and completely change the standard of living for their entire country. Huge, huge gas reserves in Africa and gas reserve and energy hypocrisy is that's where Alex Epstein Mm -hmm. came up with uh, racism. And I, I couldn't agree with Alex. And, and we're really excited to keep and covering and keep doing a lot of work with the African um, Petroleum yes. Producers Organization. So look for these two interviews. Same feed as what you get this show. You can also check out the article, energynewsbeat.com. My favorite buddy, Bidenomics. 
And, and, and I, I don't know if our producer has time to do this, but I love the picture uh, that the editor put on here, uh, Biden with his eyes. For our podcast listeners, I've got my hand over my eyes and he's kind of pointing like, like this. I think he's pulling I think a Sergeant he's, Schultz. I see yes, nothing. I, I see, see nothing. nothing. And actually, I think he's trying to say, don't tell me I need my defense. I don't know what he's doing. Okay, let's go here. Uh, this story is about hydrogen. Hydrogen suffers from the very problem it's supposed to cure. Part-time weather-dependent, unreliable wind, solar energy, hydrogen storage is supposed to function as a part of battery scale as well as powering cars, trucks, and heavy equipment. Michael, I'm busted. I used to really be the hydrogen cheerleader for energy news beat. And I mean, I love me some hydrogen until Green I actually hydrogen, blue hydrogen. You probably at one point, I'm sure we ran a story on red hydrogen. We covered them all. We did uh, the rainbow of hydrogen. And here's the problem with hydrogen. Whoa, sorry. And, and I mean, um, the hydrogen is really uh, about 35 uh, hydrogen requires massive amounts of full-time electricity, 35% more energy than the hydrogen contains. And then if for the climate activists, the climate folks, and, and the funny thing about the climate folks is think about all the cars. There's some numbers in this article that are a hoot. Hydrogen create generation creates a lot of water. Hydrogen use creates a lot of water. So let's go in here to more than 5%. Uh, you can only pipeline the infrastructure. It's a smaller molecule. So it escapes, uh, you know, kind of like uh, Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. You know, he's got a motorcycle over there going over to pipe uh, over the fence. Hydrogen escapes into more greenhouse gases than does anything else. And you can only run 5% in a natural gas line. So you can't use the same infrastructure because it escapes. So you get actually less than 1%. Okay, so let's go down here. Bidenomics, which makes everything more expensive by making energy more expensive, spending our tax money lavishly on unproductive, wasteful spending for climate ideology, adding to an estimated 33 trillion national debt. Interest payments on this is inflationary. Okay, this is an unbelievable amount of Bidenomics and club and baby seals. This is horrible. Yeah, I mean, Hydrogen, it never made sense to me. I'm going to fill up my car with hydrogen and create a bomb. I mean, it's like the same thing when they're like, oh, we're going to have these small modular nukes that run everything. Maybe. Hey, I got it. Nord Stream 1 and 2 was attacked by people throwing hydrogen cars off of carriers. They didn't have to do anything. What do you think? Ah, interesting. There was no harm, no foul. So no harm, no foul. But I think it's interesting. I mean, it could hydrogen be the future of energy. Well, it could be, but there could be a lot of other things that solve it. And 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 I'm always wary when they say, you know, making quote green hydrogen. I love this, Stu. There's this quote in here. You know, making quote green hydrogen requires massive amounts of full time, which is about 35% more energy than the hydrogen creates. creates. AKA, if you put a hundred units of energy, whatever, you know, we'll let, you know, say a hundred joules of energy into it, you get 65 back. Well, that's not a great trade. 
No. <laughs> that, that sounds like a lot of shale oil and gas companies. Hey, we're going to drill a $10 million well. It's going to be worth six and a half, but it'll be fun. The only way you can make hydrogen is if you got lots of water and there's going to be a water. Uh, I'm glad we've got lots of that. We're not in a drought or anything. Oh, no. In fact, the World uh, Economic Forum said they're going to start controlling water. So, you know, there's going to be a battle for you. And then if you have you lots of water. bring that up at the next board meeting for the World Economic Forum. Oh, yeah. Me and Schwab are going to really talk. <laughs> next would, to Larry Fink, right? Oh, yeah. And or the Saudi is, CEO or the, yeah, the Ramco CEO. Yeah, I, I like him. He's a cool dude. Dutch energy minister admits that wind power agenda is pricier than anticipated. <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay, let me give you a couple bullets. Rob Jensen, he is the Dutch Minister of Energy, admits that wind power is facing serious financial headwinds. People are expecting their money back and and regulatory agencies are not increasing uh, energy because consumers can't pay anymore. Consumers should expect substantially higher electricity prices than initially anticipated. <laughs> Rutro. Uh, the increased costs are not primarily linked to global market developments, but rather the extra 10 billion uh, euros in order to connect offshore wind farms at sea to onshore infrastructure. I'm shocked, Michael. Are you shocked that it costs that much to put in a grid? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, what's funny is, Companies that went all in on offshore wind, in my opinion, are going to see the same type of outcome that companies that went all in on shale oil and gas production in, in the early 2010s. You know, right. how many of those companies survived out of there? I mean, you think about you, you know, we could name a list of 20 EMP companies that drilled their way to bankruptcy. <laughs> and in this case, these yes. companies decided to spin up wind farms into bankruptcy. Now, if in a tax in a tax haven or somewhere where taxes are convenient sure you can dump a lot of money into unprofitable cap, capex and still makes your money but the gravy train ones out assume the dutch seem to be taking it right now absolutely let me get into this one little part here dutch offshore wind projects are now joining the global sector in facing negative financial news Several major offshore wind producers, including Vettenfall in Sweden and Orsted in Denmark, have encountered financial difficulties primarily related to higher cost interest rate re, uh, issues, PPA constraints, or commercial factors making projects fiscally unfeasible. That is not renewable energy when it's not fiscally capable. <laughs> sounds like sounds like for the 4DV program. I was confused which uh, who they were talking about in that one. Yeah. And, and so what I think we're seeing is the great awakening that I talked about yep. last year. And it is now here. What? I was just saying, rise up the great awakening. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Raise I thought roof. you were talking about how good I am and intelligent. No, uh, no, that's just for you, and that's just for you and Sparky to go back and forth on. I'll stay out of that one. The big news in the oil and gas space today: Chevron decides to get in and follow Exxon. 
making a huge all-stock purchase of Hess Corporation, $53 billion in stock and assuming um, about another six, six and a half for about a total of debt for a total of about $60 billion. Um, Again, it's all, it is an all-stock deal. You know, this kind of came as a shock specifically because Hess's largest asset, the Guyana field, is one where Chevron is the operator. So Chevron double dips basically tells me two things. One, they're not as bullish on the Permian as ExxonMobil is, or there was a bidding war for Pioneer. We'll never know that. Maybe somebody involved in the conversations will know. But either there was a bidding war over Pioneer for the last great Permian Basin resources, or Chevron made a strategic decision and said, we're going to double down on Guyana, which we know very well, and we're going to double down on the Bakken. I think this is something to be left out. Hess is the one of the larger operators when it comes to the Bakken. We haven't heard many deals up there in North Dakota happen. That's right. A lot of smaller M&A deals. I think the unsung play for Chevron is they looked at the Bakken versus they looked at the Bakken plus Guyana and said, we would prefer that over the Permian. That or they didn't want to get involved with Pioneer or they never even talked to Pioneer. But my guess is there was a strategic decision that happened from Chevron that said, we're going to go take double down on what we know. And I mean, for Chevron getting into the Bakken, interesting. What it tells me, Stu, is they this wasn't a GNA led venture. They weren't coming in here thinking synergies is going to help them out. And if you ever no. seen a merger and acquisitions, if you see the word synergies, think layoffs. Didn't see you, the word synergies around here. The only no. reason, you know, the Guyana, yes, there's synergies, but that's just picking up an extra operator percentage. Hess is not actually having boots on the ground there. The fact that they're taking over their Bakken assets means probably most of that Hess team is going to stay around. Top two deals, though, speaking of this Pioneer and and Hess deal, the real question now, Stu, is one, what do you think of the deal? Second, who's next? I like the deal. And more importantly, I like the deal for Guyana. Guyana is incredibly important for nat gas and export capabilities of LNG. LNG with all these uh, contracts around are uh, here to stay. And LNG for Africa in that area is the import facilities, it is a long-term play, and that's going to put them right at the top of the pile. Chevron CEO Michael Worth, here was his comment on the deal. We've got too many CEOs per barrels of oil. Expect <laughs> to see. He's not wrong. He's not no. wrong. I think we also have to remember who are these two, you know, John Hess, CEO of Hess, cashing out. A lot older, Scott Sheffield, pioneer, retiring at the end of the year, looking to right. cash out. These, I think, you know, hindsight being 2020, these are probably the two targets in which we should have thought of all along in order because they had motivated management. The real question is who next? I don't think Oxy's on the table. I think they're going to stay out of it. I think it'd be really interesting to see what EOG does. Do they allow themselves to merge and find an, you know, an equal among them? Do they go ahead and gobble up some of these smaller Permian right. players? I think now what you're going to see is the scraps left in the Permian begin to get consolidated up. But guys, you can check it all out again, energynewsbeat.com for all of your breaking let me, oil let me and ask gas this. news. Uh, in the Marcellus, instead of the Permian, do you see things like EQT and CNX and others piling into this? I don't know. No, see because the, the, the economics of natural gas right now, I don't think don't favor M&A. And That's I what I was thinking. If you're yeah, EQT, right. you probably have enough scale to where you're more worried about optimizing your own assets versus trying to go out and make some, you know, deal. I mean, you know, your buddy over at CNX, you call him up. See, I, I would think they, you know, in that area, in CNX EQT space, they stay pat, but you, you never know. 
and and it'll be interesting to see, but you'll have to hit up your contacts over there. Oh, you bet. Jamie Diamond says central banks got it uh, forecast 100% dead wrong. And it doesn't matter what the Fed hikes do. I agree with him. I, I think uh, there's a couple paragraphs in here that are pretty important. And it says, uh, Chase CEO blasted the Federal Reserve, which has hiked the benchmark federal funds rate between 5.25 and 5.5 on a 22-year high and downplayed the importance of the central bank's next move. This is him. This is from uh, Diamond. I don't think, quote, I don't think it makes uh, a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more, Diamond said during a panel at the Future Investment Initiative in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, per Bloomberg. Whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points, be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. He noted that that inflation was at 8.3% in April uh, 2022, nearing its peak in 2022 of 9.1, uh, even though the Federal Reserve had requested that uh, consumer price index, the inflation gauge would sit between 2.5 and 3. And he brings up another good quote here. Fiscal spending is more than it's ever been in peacetime. And there's this omni feeling that central banks and governments can manage through all this stuff. They can't. And and I couldn't agree more with Jamie on this. The next Fed meeting will be October 31st through the 1st. His other, I'm cautious quote from Jamie. I'm cautious about what will happen next year noting the real need for real leadership to navigate the geopolitical concerns. It It's going to be, I have been in, uh, called out on a lot of folks by saying that I firmly believe there's nothing that the Fed can do that will solve inflation unless energy is fixed. The global energy market has to be fixed. It has to be delivering the lowest cost kilowatt per hour to all citizens of the planet with the least amount of impact on the environment through sustainability, fiscal sustainability, and being able to continue the low cost. It's not going to happen. You cannot have low inflation without low cost of energy. The value gap between European U.S. oil and majors stubbornly wide amidst Exxon Chevron mega deals. This is another story that is from a different source from the ones we talked about yesterday. And when you sit back and kind of talk about Total, and you take ENI and you take uh, Shell, they took a whole different path and they went all in on renewable energy and they got just whacked by having their investors not happy, their returns were not there, and now they've had to come around full cycle on this. Uh, the moves were dwarfed in pack by ExxonMobil, Pioneer Resources uh, taking over, and then Chevron uh, to Hess. And th- this is a quote from Alan Good. Uh, for investors looking to bet on higher oil and gas prices for longer, Exxon and Chevron are better options, said Alan Good, director of equity research at Morningstar. We continue to think the ESG discount for European firms is playing a role. That's why 
why I wanted to get this article in here that was different than the other article yesterday. My hat's off to all of our great American oil and gas companies, our privates, our publics, uh, everything else. And uh, a shout out to the Oil and Gas Workers Association and all of our great energy workers, whether you're on the grid, whether you are in the wind farm business or you're supporting anything for the grid, nuclear, we just really appreciate you providing energy security for the United States. 